This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MOV Pipeline's Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. The non-waiver trade deadline has passed. Who won? On the prospect side of things, we'll get answers to that question and look at some of the busiest teams over the last week or so. The Padres system got even better at the deadline with the addition of Francisco Mejia. And we talked to Padres pitching prospect Jacob Nix about the Friars' talented double-A squad. We'll get to that as well. But let's start, guys, with the trade deadline, and we're going to talk about the the prospect side. So we might as well start with the Baltimore Orioles, who have officially committed to rebuilding. I think that's fair to say. Um, They trade away, of course, Manny Machado, then Zach Britton, then Brock and Scope, O'Day, Gaussman. They traded a lot away. The question I have for you guys is, of course, did they get enough back? And we, we could go trade by trade, but let's go overall first, Jonathan. When you look at all the players and international money that came back to Baltimore, do you like what they've done? You know, it's funny. We, we talked a lot about this yesterday, and what they did was quantity over quality. Uh, you know, I, I think in, in my estimation, uh, you know, I always like to give the caveat like that we're not privy to the conversation they had with other teams. You know, a lot of people, oh, they should have gotten more from Manny Machado. Uh, you know, they, they should have gotten more impact talent in some of these trades. I don't know that this was the, the trade deadline for that. There were not a lot of high-end guys who got traded. Only two top 100 guys got traded overall, and they got one of them in Usniel Diaz in the Machado trade. So, yeah, maybe it would have been nice to get more, but this was a thin system, and they added 10 players to their top 30. Now, I don't... I, you know, I don't have the institutional memory to, to know, but I don't know that that's ever happened in terms of one, fully one-third of a, a team's top 30 list gets changed over. So in that regard, I think they did very well. I think they got a lot of guys who are upper levels. So, you know, I mean, Cody Carroll pitched uh, today, you know, as we record this uh, against the Yankees, his former team. So it won't take – that long to reap the benefits of some of these some of these trades and I think if some of the guys who are good but trending upwards uh, like a Dean Kramer take another step forward uh, as they continue to develop then it'll look like they got more more in return so uh, volume was the the key for them clearly. Jim, it is fair to say, right, when you get this many players over the course of a trade deadline, it is going to take some time before we realize. Because who knows, maybe some of the guys we think are going to be great aren't, but some of the other guys step up and become really good ball players. Yeah, although I, I think you guys are nicer than I am. <laughs> Always. I, Generally, yes. Well, that's probably true, too. But, uh, I, I, look, I mean, look, the Orioles need to rebuild. You know, they, they have, you know, they're in contention for the number one overall pick despite, you know, theoretically trying to contend this year. They have an old team. They have a, you know, middle-ish of the pack farm system. So they had a lot of work to do. But, uh, I, overall, I'm not blown away. I mean, in retrospect, I was maybe a little harsher on the Manny Machado trade, uh, than I, than I should have been. Everybody else in the world seems to think that 
that's all you can get for a rental. And yeah, you know, you know, the, the Cubs did overpay for Roldis Chapman. I, I still think, yes, they got Yusniel Diaz, and I do like that. I mean, only two top 100 guys got moved this deadline. He was one of them. You know, and Dean Kramer and Zach Pop and Ryland Bannon are all having very good years, and they're all interesting. But there's not a lot of pedigree, and you're really banking that. Yeah, you know, it's almost like somebody looked like. Yeah, okay, who are the top statistical performers in the Dodgers system? Let's go get for them. I, I still, in retrospect, while I was maybe harsher than most looking at that trade, think they could have gotten a better second player in that deal. I, I did like the Zach Britton deal. Look, he's purely a rental. Uh, you know, had had some injury issues. Uh, Dylan Tate, you know, we talked about this a week ago. We aren't sure exactly what he is, but it's a really good arm. Cody Carroll's got a really good arm. You know, Josh Rogers more of a back rotation guy. So I, that trade, okay, I, I'm down with that. I, I did not understand the trades yesterday at all, just from the context of you don't have to make those trades now. And were those trades so overwhelming that you had to make them, you had to jump on them? I mean, they traded Kevin Gossman, who's under control, for two more years after this one. And look, he's not the guy, he's not the ace that they were hoping for when they took him fourth overall. But he's a pretty effective mid-rotation, big league starter who's under control for two-plus years. And they trade him, and they get, you know, Giancarlo Encarnacion, who I like. He's interesting. But, again, he's not one of the Braves' very best prospects. I would have thought I could have maybe gotten one of their ten or so best prospects. And then the rest of my package is, Again, offensive-minded catcher who's hitting 230 in Double A. Uh, that's not real exciting in Brett Cumberland. Bruce Zimmerman's a guy who was a fifth-round senior sign last year, who's having a really good statistical year. But I mean, I think if he's a number five starter, you're feeling pretty good about that. That's probably on the on the high side. And Evan Phillips is a reliever, and they got international bonus slot money, which the you know Twitter's all ablaze. Oh, they're going to go get Victor Victor Mesa. Well, Jonathan, I mean, you remember years ago. Your hometown Pirates, hey, you know, the year that, that, that Harper, uh, I think Strasburg went number one. I mean, it was 2010. Strasburg won one, Ackley won two. I forget the Pirates were picking fourth. And they didn't really level us out there. So, okay, we're going to go cheap. We're going to take Tony Sanchez. But we're going to go ahead and take all the money we saved by, by taking overdrafting Tony Sanchez, and we're going to get Miguel Sano internationally. Well, Pirates didn't sign Miguel Sano, and the Tony Sanchez gambit didn't work out too well. So I, I, I don't understand. Like, you needed to take a, play, a page out of Rick Hahn's playbook with the White Sox. And if you have guys who are under control, don't trade them unless you get an offer you really like. You could have traded Kevin Gossman in the offseason and gotten a similar deal, I would hope, better deal than that. And then Jonathan Scope, a little less so. I mean, I, mean, I can see – the thinking behind that one, I mean, he's got a year of control. Your Jonathan Villar is cheaper. You're hoping he rebounds to where he was two years ago. Although on the flip side, you can maybe say that, that that big year that Jonathan Villar had two years ago is so out of line with anything else he's done in his career that maybe that, that, that Jonathan Villar is not coming back. Um, Luis Ortiz was a former top 100 prospect, good arm. Uh, you know, the frustrating thing with Luis Ortiz is, is he's always nicked up. You know, never like a, a hugely serious injury. But going back to the year he was a first-round pick out of high school, which I think was 2014, literally every year there's something physically wrong. And if you look at Luis Ortiz, he's not exactly uh, going to be on the cover of men's health. And I think there's a, a reason he's nicked up all the time. Is I don't think the guy's in great shape. And I think it was interesting to me that the Brewers kind of, I thought they sold high or maybe not sold high, but sold Brett Phillips and Luis Ortiz 
Well, they hadn't lost all their luster. He made a couple of pretty good trades. And, you know, Gene Carmona is an interesting guy, too, but he's years away. So I, I look at all this, and I, yeah, that was a very long-winded response, but, like, I, I felt like they did okay in the Manny Machado trade, but I felt like you could have done more. I'm on board with the Britain trade. There's no way I make that Kevin Gossman trade right now for that package. No way. And Scope, I can see their thinking, but it, that didn't blow me away either. So I, I think it's almost like they had some ammunition to go out and do a lot, and I think they added more quantity than quality. And in the end, I mean, you know, you, you traded you know, four of your very best players, and you got one top 100 prospect, and – you know, I mean, you're banking on, you know, Ryland Bannon and John Carlos Encarnacion, uh, you know, being everyday players. I mean, they're they're years away, and you're hoping some of these pitchers pan out. You know, Dylan Tate might be a reliever. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't look at this hall and see, hey, here's, here's some guys who are going to be the foundation of when the Orioles are ready to contend, you know, after a three- or four-year rebuild, because it's going to be a long, painful rebuild in Baltimore. I... I would have, you know what, I would have turned my phone off yesterday rather than made those two trades, especially the Gosman deal. Wow. All right. Well, we, he, he didn't hold back, that's for sure. I'll say this, Jim. It felt like they maybe they just wanted to rip off the Band-Aid as far as the rebuild goes, and, hey, if we're going to do this, we're just going to do it all now. I did want to bring up one more point on the Orioles, then we'll move on. It is the international slot money, and maybe they get Mesa, maybe they don't. But, Jonathan, is this at least – Maybe a good sign for Orioles fans that a team that for a long time has kind of just, I think Jim's used the term, punted on the international market, traded away the money, not really spent there or invested internationally. Maybe this is a sign that they're changing philosophically by bringing in $2.5 million in a deal here at the deadline? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were joking at the time of the Machado deal that you know the irony of them getting Yusniel Diaz, uh, you know, who costs so much money for for the Dodgers to sign and and then the penalty and going over uh so not a guy they they would never have made a a personnel move like that so yes i think that is encouraging uh that they did acquire you know that that money now we'll have to wait and see whether they spend it and then flip it to to somebody else but hopefully that does mean that they are going to make some kind of effort on the international market because, you know, it, that's something that's never made a whole lot of sense. Even if you're not going to be aggressive players, uh, just the punting is, was, was almost being kind, which is not a word I would use for Jim Callis usually. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they really spent almost nothing in terms of trying to bring in players. And if you're going to freeze yourself out from a market like that, you're doing the long-term health of your organization a disservice. Jim, uh, you mentioned we mentioned that only two top 100 guys were traded at the deadline, and you look at it as a whole, and Tuesday was an extremely busy deadline day. Um, it just wasn't those top guys. Is that just because of what was out there to trade for, in your mind? Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess to some extent. I mean, I, I think it may be more also that teams really value young talent and the financial control and how cheap those guys are compared to even arbitration-eligible players. I mean, you know, look, I mean, the Pirates traded two top prospects, you know, in Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows. They just don't count as quote-unquote official prospects anymore because they've, they've exceeded their rookie status. But, you know, so that was interesting. But, you know, I think it's just it's, it's hard to pry those guys away. I mean, there, there was talk. I mean, I think GT Realmuto, you know, the, the Nationals really wanted him. And it sounded like they were even willing to consider, you know, possibly giving up Victor Robles in the deal, who's one of the top five prospects in baseball. 
but the Marlins also want them to include Carter Keboom in the deal, you know, as well as potentially some other stuff too. So I just think it's teams really value young prospects, and so I think you had your sellers asking for the moon, and the buyers not wanting to give those guys up. And and you know, I think it was interesting. I mean, I, I thought, I mean, honestly, I mean, the Orioles made the biggest name moves of the guys they traded. And although they didn't get a, a top 100 guy, I really thought that both the Twins and the Blue Jays did a really nice job of getting multiple interesting players, even if they didn't come with a top 100, you know, pedigree. So, um, you know, I thought the Twins, while you know, basically the only, you know, they gave up Brian Dozier and Eduardo Escobar. You know, they didn't give up four guys like the like the Orioles did, but, I mean, they got Jorge Alcala and, Gil- and Gilberto Celestino from the Astros. You know, Alcala's up to 98 with a nasty slider, and Celestino's kind of Albert Almora Jr. You know, if he continues developing, they got, you know, another guy who throws 98, and Jean Duran uh, from the Diamondbacks, and a speedy center fielder as well, and Gabriel Maciel. Um, and even in the Dodgers trade, uh, you know, yesterday, I mean, they didn't get, you know, they got, a, you know, uh, Logan Forsythe coming back, so there was a big league veteran in there. You know, but they got Luke Raley, who some people think has a chance to maybe be an everyday player in the big leagues, and is the worst, you know, backup corner outfielder and first baseman who can hit. And even in, you know, when they got rid of Lance Lynn, who's having a terrible year, they got a sleeper pitcher in Luis Rio from the Yankees. So I actually thought the, the Twins did a really nice job. You know, the Orioles got all the headlines, but I thought in terms of what you got for what you gave up, the Twins crushed them. And uh, Jonathan actually did have the Twins ranked number two in your most improved systems list, and and you had the Orioles one, obviously, the quantity factor, 10 out of 30, but you uh, agree with Jim on that with the Twins. Five new top 30 guys for the Twins, and and they didn't really give up. I mean, Dozier is is a guy who is kind of a face-of-the-franchise type guy, but he was heading towards free agency, and it seemed like he was probably going to be a guy that went elsewhere anyway. I feel like, you know, that Brian Dozier is going to get traded. Rumors have been going been for three last, years, yeah, I for think. several years, and <laughs> they kept you know they kept him because I think of that yeah. that that value that he's had, and he's a good player. Uh, I think, and that w- it was always to the Dodgers, and he eventually got right, there. right, right. I think you know, that's one of those trades that might end up being a good trade for for both teams, right? Because the Twins aren't giving up that much, but it was a need the Dodgers had. Uh, you know, they didn't get a you know. A, huge overpay on it but they got you know some, some interesting uh, talent in in return so yeah I, I think Jim is right in that you know, Minnesota and Toronto both uh, did a nice job with the sort of lesser trades the trading deadline overall was I was joking especially during the flurry uh, at the very end that it was like uh, death by a thousand paper cuts there was a ton of work <laughs> so for many. us to do and there were so many trades but uh, there wasn't that big, like, wow. I mean, there was a big wow trade, but not involving real prospects. I did think it was interesting that, um, and Jim, you mentioned the Nationals really wanted to get in on Real Muto, that not working out. I thought they'd be able to pivot maybe at the last minute and turn back to Wilson Ramos, obviously a popular guy with that team when he played there. And the Phillies got Ramos for just a player to be named later and cash, which surprised me that he went for that and, and the Nationals weren't involved in, in doing that. But that's the, the way they went. Jim, you also mentioned that Pirates deal with the Rays. And I want to get into that a little bit. Archer for Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now, because to me that stands out as kind of the maybe the most interesting trade of the day just because Archer's another guy who's been so many rumors over the last couple of years as far as him getting traded and he certainly didn't go to the direction where we thought he would go, to go to the Pirates, who who 
get him and they trade away two guys who you mentioned were former top prospects in Meadows and Glasnow. And Glasnow hasn't quite become what they had hoped, being a frontline starter. Instead, he's been a bullpen guy. But did you think, Jim, that was maybe the most interesting trade of the day also? I would say the whole month of the whole trade deadline period just because of the significance of all those guys. I mean, Archer... You know, you can really kind of, you know, play, you know, glasses half full, glasses half empty on all those guys. I mean, Archer, you know, is cost-controlled for a while at a bargain rate, um, and he's got really interesting stuff. But you know what? I mean, it seems like his ERA always is on the north side of four, too. Um, and then, you know, flip side, you know, Austin Meadows, you know, was one of the game's best prospects at one point. But he's getting, he gets nicked up a little bit. He, he's in much better shape than Luis Ortiz, so I'm not going to fault his conditioning for his injuries. And hasn't done a lot in AAA. He's had some, you know, moments in his short time in the big leagues. And Tyler Glass now, you know, has, you know, one of the better fastball-curveball combinations around. But he really has struggled to, to harness his control and command to the point where he can be a starter and he might be a reliever. So it was kind of a an interesting gambit. You know, I mean, we've we've also seen reports that the the, the player to be named in that trade, you know, the Rays are getting another guy, will be a significant player. Um, you know what that means. I mean, it, it's not going to be you know Mitch Cabell or Cabrian Hayes, but you know the, the Pirates do have a glut of. Of interesting middle infielders and, and O'Neill Cruz and Cole Tucker and Kevin Newman and Kevin Kramer, maybe it's one of those guys, you know. And if if they get another player back in the deal, uh, that would be pretty interesting. I mean, they got a number of outfielders too, so I mean, they, the Pirates have some depth in their system, so you could get a pretty good player even if it's not one of their top five or, or even ten guys. Um, so yeah, I thought that was by far the most uh, the most interesting trade, and, and also from the standpoint too of you know when the Pirates had three straight playoff teams. They didn't make that big deadline move, and here they went out and did. Now, you know, I think the difference too is this isn't just a move for this year. They're they're kind of you know they're in the wild card race. It seems like every team in the National League is 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 in one playoff race or another just about. But you know, they they have Archer you know going forward. They have Keone Kila you know going forward as well. Um, but it, I thought it was interesting that this is a year they go out and make the move when they didn't make the move when they had good teams in 13 through 15. Yeah, and teams that were much closer in the race and, and that went on to, you know, be wild card teams, but they weren't able to, to pull the trigger. From a Rays perspective, um, this is a team that Jonathan has surprised this year at the major league level, despite making trades in the offseason and during spring training that a lot of people thought, okay, they're they're throwing in the towel and rebuilding, but they've they've kind of played a fascinating kind of baseball with the bullpenning and all of that. And there here they go and they finally trade Chris Archer and they don't get low level prospects. They get guys that are big league ready. And it seems like you throw Tommy Pham in who they also got. Right. And it's an, it's a almost a unique kind of rebuild they're trying to do. It's not really a rebuild right. in, in a lot of ways. I mean, maybe, you know, they're flipping a switch for this year, but uh, you know, I think the Rays have always tried to find a way to compete in a division that it's really hard for them to compete in, given the the financial wherewithal of the Yankees and the Red Sox in particular, and uh, I think you know they realize that their team isn't isn't bad. They're they're not floundering in 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 last place or anything like that, and and they're a young team overall with a good farm system uh, that continues to funnel guys up to the big leagues. So uh, it's a quick switch, I think, that they're trying to flip, uh, which I thought made the moves that they made really interesting to to bring in three guys now Tommy Pham's a little bit older but you know he sort of fits what they want to do just in terms of control and what he costs 
to bring in three guys that they can plug right into their 25-man roster immediately is uh, – it was kind of a shrewd move by them. We'll see if it works, you know, for a lot of the reasons that Jim laid out in terms of uh, the question marks with um, – with Glasnow in particular, I, you know, I, I think you know Meadows is still young enough, even though we've been talking about him forever, uh, and he's been healthy this year, that maybe he can put some of those things behind him. Uh, those were recurring hamstring injuries by and large. I mean, he got hit in the jaw once, unrelated, but I think he's learned how to deal with those and, and get his body in, in really good shape. So if he can put that behind him, uh, then he's ready to contribute regularly and uh you know that's sort of a fun outfield that they have they you know flipped around two-thirds of it and and then in glass now even if it's just for the bullpen i'm sure it'll be just for the bullpen for now and then they can see what they want to do for for the long term try to stretch them back out i i, I wouldn't mind seeing how that would look but uh you know it, it was definitely sort of a an interesting way to go for a team that wasn't buying full-on and wasn't selling full-on Talk about teams that were in great spots to make trades because of the great systems. And the New York Yankees, we knew, were one of those that, that was in a spot to make moves. They needed to make moves, and they had a loaded system to do it with. And, Jim, they did make the moves. They get Lance Lynn and Jay Happ to kind of help out the, the starting rotation. Maybe the biggest move is getting Britain to add into what was already um, a tremendous bullpen. But the surprising thing, I think, is that they didn't give up that much from all those moves, right? I mean, little tip of the cap to Brian Cashman on filling the holes that they needed to and keeping pretty much all of their top guys in that mind. I mean, they did trade uh, Dylan Tate in the deal for Britain, but overall they kept all those for most of their big time guys in the system. Yeah. I mean, what you saw them do is trade guys. They might have trouble protecting on the 40 man roster. You know, they gave up, you know, Billy McKinney and Brandon Drury who were kind of superfluous. You know, Drury helped his value with a nice start to the season before he got hurt uh, for J.A. Happ. I actually thought they gave up decent talent, but it was, it was talent they could afford to give up. You know, it, as we said before, you know, I, I, you know, as good as Dylan Tate is, stuff standpoint, he might be a reliever. I do like Cody Carroll. Josh Rogers, you know, shoot, on the Orioles, he'll probably crack the rotation as a pitchability lefty, you know, as a number five guy. Um, but, you know, the Yankees just, it's, I think they've almost got like a printer that can just print out another guy who's throwing 98, you know, when they need one. So they, they just produce pitchers. You know, Luke Voigt, I'm not sure what he really brings to the table. And Giovanni Gallegos could be an interesting middle guy for the Cardinals. They give him up. Rio's a sleeper. But, yeah, I mean, they didn't, you know, make, I mean, I don't know how much Lance Lynn really has, brings to the table based on the year he's having. You know, I think the keys really for them are Britain and Happ. And, you know, they have their system, you know, they've promoted guys to the big leagues. So it's not as as star-laden as it once was. But I still think the Yankees have one of the deepest farm systems in baseball, and it enabled them to make these trades. Um, and we may see some trades in the offseason, too, when it comes to setting up your 40-man roster, and they have more guys and they have spots. And they'll trade some you know, decent AAA types and get some interesting young guys. They, they've done a really good job of doing that the last couple of years. Well, I think really the, the most brilliant stroke is that they made these trades and they added three and three quarters million dollars in international bonus money. I mean, they've gotten very, very good at using that system to their advantage and making deals with teams that uh, aren't going to use all their money or, you know, or maybe can't use all their money, you know, for, for whatever, if they're, if they're in penalty and their reals are not going to spend all their money, then they'll include them in trade. So they're able to stockpile, uh, 
that money and 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 use it to aggressively go after high-end talent, which will give them yet another wave behind what's already in the system. And because the system is, is so deep and they keep churning out these guys, as you mentioned, Jim, they can be as patient as, as you need to be with these young players that they're, that they're signing out of the Dominican and, and, and out of Venezuela. One more topic I wanted to touch on uh, before we get to the interview with Jacob Nix, and that is there was two teams that went into this trade deadline in, I guess, a good spot, a spot you want to be in, and that is ahead of schedule with good systems um, and then they have to decide, though, what to do. How far do we go in on this? And that's the Braves and the Phillies. And I think both of them successfully kind of walk that line, Jonathan, especially the Braves when you think about they got Gossman and Brock and O'Day and, and, and that kind of thing. And they used international money that is basically useless to them because of the penalties they're facing. And here they go. It's not useless if you can trade it for value in a spot where you don't want to give up a lot of your top prospects. Right. I think Alex Anthopoulos deserves a lot of credit for sort of figuring out how to, to do that. Because, you know, they're in the penalty. Obviously, it wasn't caused by him, and we don't need to go into uh, all that transpired. I think most people know about that. Uh, and, you know, they've, they've signed some international guys, you know, for – Two hundred thousand dollars, or what you know, you know, under the three hundred thousand dollar mark, uh, but they would have to sign a lot of players to use up all all of their money. So it was smart of them to to include some of that. And I was kind of bracing myself. I didn't think they were going to go all in, uh, you know. Although you know, you have a, an aggressive general manager who's been known to trade guys in the past, and a farm system that largely isn't of his creation. That's a recipe for sometimes going in and and and. You know, pulling a Dave Dombrowski in Boston and trading. Sorry, Tim. Uh, you know, a, a lot of prospects away, but he managed to help the big league club out. Um, you know, and not just for the right now. Yeah, as Kevin Gaussman's under control, as, as Jim mentioned. And I was bracing myself. I do the Braves top thirty list. I thought I was going to have to replace tons of guys. I had to replace two guys. I mean, it, they they really did a very nice job of helping a playoff contending team get better while keeping the bulk of what's a really good farm system intact. Well, and you replaced two guys, one of whom was literally, I think, Jonathan, number 30 on your Braves list yes. as an offensive-minded catcher hitting 228. Uh, He's gone down. So, he was hitting 230 when we started this podcast. Yeah. I, 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 you rounded I, I, up, I guess, points. earlier. But, uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's – so, like, I, I, I mean, yes, Alex Anthopoulos deserves credit for that one. But, like, that trade is such a no-brainer. Uh, you know, I, I mean, like, how do you not make that trade? Yeah, I'll give you, like, a bunch of, you know, I'll give you one guy who really factors in our plans possibly, but he's buried behind Austin Riley and, and who knows who else, uh, you know, for, for Gossman. Well, here's a question I'll ask you. Do you think, you know, and I don't think the owners are sweating this, but you know, the whole idea of, okay, if you go over your national and bonus pool, uh, in the past there are penalties, now you can't do that. Uh, you know, now now you can't simply go over it, but the Braves, you got penalized for the whole John Coppolella mess. It seems goofy to me that you have restrictions on teams internationally, but yet you still get your full bonus pool allotment because it, that doesn't really achieve anything. Yeah, they can't go out and sign guys for over 300000 but they can go ahead and, and basically, you know, their international bonus pool money helped them get Kevin Gossman. 
uh, when they were supposed to be penalized for, for breaking rules left and right and lying about it on the international stage. So I, I just find it curious. I mean, I guess it won't be that much of a factor going forward because the days where you could spend what you want and then you'd have a limit are gone. You, now you, you, you can't spend what you want. But I just think that's kind of – baseball has never – figured out what to do with international bonuses, there's always one unintended consequence after another. So so what was your question? I guess my question was, <laughs> you know, going forward, they won't have to do, need to do anything, but like, I kind of feel like they, they should have stepped in and not just put penalties on what the Braves could spend, but taken their international bonus pool money away from them because it didn't wind up really being that huge of a penalty when, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you couldn't go sign a big ticket guy. But you used your national money, and you went and got Kevin Gossman for for four prospects who who really aren't you know a big right. part of your future no, plans. I, I agree with that, and I, I feel like at one point in time when people were trying to guess what the penalties were going to be, I feel like someone had brought that up, not knowing whether or not that was even something they could or would do. Um, I think yeah, in in some ways it would have made more sense to not limit their like what they could spend on any one player, but say half their bonus pool. That that would actually probably have more of a of an impact, or you know, take away their bonus pool one year, or say you can you have you're allowed to spend four million on you know forty seven players or whatever, but you're limited, but you're not allowed to trade any of your bonus pool money. I think those are all things that could have been put on the table to 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 make that penalty more meaningful. I agree. Quick thought on the Phillies, Jonathan, who got uh, Wilson Ramos for a player to be named later in cash. They got Aaron Loop. They got Estrubal Cabrera. And really, you look at the guys they gave up. Franklin Colomay is, is is a guy, but other than that, they did a good job like the Braves, and their system isn't as deep as the Braves. They did, and, you know, it's interesting. I know Ramos was hurt, um, but given what his value was, uh, you know, they paid more for Estrubal Cabrera than they – much more than, than they did for, for Ramos. And if if both are healthy and Ramos is expected back – I would have thought that maybe Ramos would have cost more, or at least something comparable. They they didn't have to, you know, they didn't give up a a, a top thirty guy for for Ramos and and Kilame, and even Kilame is is really interesting. But he's one of those guys who's you know on paper scouting report the pure stuff is really really good, but he hasn't dominated and he hasn't missed a ton of bats. Now, he's been very young for his level, wherever he's been, so even if he, say, repeats double-A uh, next year, he's still kind of ahead of the curve. But, yeah, I thought they, you know, like the Braves in, in some regard, uh, and the changes they made were a little sort of smaller, I think, and more incremental. They did not have to raid the their, their farm system, uh, which is good, not as good as it was because guys like J.P. Crawford and Scott Kingery had graduate, graduated off the prospect lists. But, uh, yeah, I think they, they did a very nice job of sort of maintaining that so there's some long-term continuity in terms of using their farm system to make them better. All right, make sure you get on MLB Pipeline and check out Jonathan's top five improved systems. The Orioles won, Twins two. You have the Blue Jays three, Cardinals four, both those teams adding four new players to their top 30s. And the Padres number five as the rich kind of get richer as they get Francisco Mejia into the mix there in San Diego. And that brings us to our interview with Jacob Nix, San Diego Padres double uh, A starter, two and three this year, but a great ERA, 2.05 since he's come back from injury for double A San Antonio. So let's check in with Jacob Nix. 
Jacob Nix, Padres prospect, joining us here on the Pipeline Podcast. Jacob, I know you started the year, obviously, on the disabled list with the injury, but since you've come back, you've pitched really well in that San Antonio rotation. Just talk about um, how tough was it having to start the year on the DL and, and kind of make your way back and, and see your other teammates out there playing. Um, you know, this is my second year in a row starting on the DL with literally the exact same issue as last year. And this year being in big league camp and coming in and, you know, I got, I felt that groin kind of pull again, like two days before I left for camp. And that was really tough. And, you know, we tried everything. Like as soon as I got there, we did a cortisone shot because that, you know, last year that's what I did and it, it went away permanently and it just didn't really work as well as it did last year and had a lot of setbacks, but, um, you know, I mean, finally was able to get out of there and, you know, I'm feeling good now. So, (laughs) I I mean, I guess guess, on the, on the plus side is, you know, it's not your arm, but you know, how much have you learned just going through this the last couple of years uh, about taking care of your body and, and, how important your legs are to, to what you want to do uh, as well. And, you know, how, how have you evolved in terms of understanding that sort of taking care of all of you part of becoming a, a, a professional pitcher? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, definitely like I've added a lot more into my daily, like, you know, routines and stuff. But, um, yeah, it is frustrating being injured and stuff. But at the end of the day, you know what, it's not my arm. And it's not, you know, a career or season-ending issue. So, you know, I'd much rather be pitching in September than I would in April. Like, you know, the important – I'd rather be pitching in the back end of the season than in the beginning. So making sure everything's healthy before I left Arizona and stuff was really important. Um, But, yeah, I mean, obviously you learn and you adapt and you figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And Jacob, the results have been good since you've gotten back on the mound this year. How happy are you with, with how your development's coming along? You know, how are your pitches been working so far this year, and, and what are you trying to work on the most? What's on the top of your to-do list right now? Um, you know, I've been you know I've been fortunate enough to have you know I haven't really had much of an off outing yet, and if I have, you know, I'm able to battle with the tools that I have and get the job done, or you know, give it give the team a chance to compete and there's a chance to win. So, um, you know, last year, my big project for the year was my changeup and, you know, my changeup has come a long way and it's like, you know, a lot of people are saying it's better than my curveball now. Um, and so that's just something, you know, I've been throwing a lot more of to righties and lefties. And, um, last game I actually, uh, I pulled a slider out and that was the first time I'd ever thrown it in a game. And I think I got four or five, uh, I think I got four strikeouts on a slider. So, I mean, it's still, it's obviously still a work in progress, but, you know, it's always just trying to get better and get a leg up on guys. Uh, you know, Jacob, you're just looking uh, really up and down your system, but particularly there in, in San Antonio, there's so many good pitchers that you're surrounded with, you know, Cal Quantrill and, uh, you, you know, um, Chris Paddock just got there, Logan Allen. Uh, you know, how much do you guys pick each other's brains uh, and, and how does that help you? And also how much is there sort of a, a competitiveness that if one guy goes out and throws really, really well, uh, you want to one up on the, the, the next day? 
Oh, we have so much fun. Literally every day is a, is like a dog fight to who's going to be who's going to be the dude that week. And you know what? It's it pushes us all to be better. It pushes us all to run harder during our conditioning, to lift harder when our when after we're done pitching. You know, we got to get our lift in. It's I think we've built a really really fun and competitive environment. Like you know we we're constantly picking each other's brains. You know I'm picking. Even uh, like TJ Weir and other guys get uh, in Double A about you know the slider and I work with Chris Paddock. Him and I, him and I throw curveballs to each other almost every day. Like you know that's been his big project. He's always had his bread and butter changeup, but he's still working on his curveball. And I have a good curveball, so I'm trying to help him out with that. You know we're always trying to help each other get better. Jacob, following up on that question, I mean, there there is just a ton of talent on that pitching staff there in San Antonio and throughout the Padres system. But if you could build a perfect pitcher using the mission staff, taking a fastball, curve, slider, and change from whoever you wanted, you can include yourself, how would you put that pitcher together? I'm going to take um, – I'm going to take Andre Nune- Andres Munoz's fastball, of course. Uh, I'm going to take Paddock changeup. Um, actually, Logan has a really – I'm thinking of a right-handed pitcher. <laughs> Logan's change, Logan Allen's changeup is incredible. He throws it uh, – it's a Vulcan changeup. Hey, man, playing catch, that thing almost hits me in the shins all the time. That thing's wicked. Um, but thinking of a right-handed pitcher just because I'm a righty, obviously I'm going to go Munoz's. Uh, fastball, Paddock's changeup. Um, I'd probably take TJ Weir's slider. I'd take my curveball. I like my curveball. I like its chances. I think that's fair. I would have picked your curveball, too. Hey, I'm going to follow up real quick. Andres Munoz, I saw him in the Arizona Fall League last year, and it was ridiculous. One of the games I broadcast, I think he was throwing 100 miles an hour, and he had a slider that was dancing all over the place, and guys had no shot. Have you Zero ever chance. seen a 19-year-old with that kind of stuff before? You know, he was he was actually – I was his first roommate when he came to the U.S. in Instructs of 15, and he was – he's put on a, probably 30 pounds since he signed, and every ounce of that has been in his legs. Man, he is he is sick in the lower half, and – I mean, he uses his lower half really well, and not to mention his arm is so incredibly fast. Like it's so whippy. It's. I mean, he's truly. He's really special. Don't want to focus only on pitching. You also have the benefit of uh, getting to see Fernando Tatis play every day. Yes. Um, do you guys? You know, how aware are you of how? If, special of a treat that is enough to take anything away from anybody else in the lineup, but he, he's the, obviously the guy that kind of jumps off the page with what he's able to do on yeah. the field. I mean, he's saved my ass more than a few times. So, I mean, he's he's a phenomenal player, and he brings a lot of energy, and, you know, I love having him in the dugout. He's he's a good guy. And, I mean, that's not – I mean, we also have, you know, Austin Allen. We have Michael Geddes. We have Buddy Reed now. Uh, Josh Naylor. I mean, we have a pretty ridiculous team here. Have you heard yet? Have they discussed possibly pitching in Arizona Fall League this year? I mean, you would seem to kind of fit the profile as a guy who missed time. 
but with a non-serious, non-arm injury. And if you had that opportunity, how much would you look forward to that? Um, you know, we haven't really discussed it much. Um, I think we're kind of looking at uh, some sort of option to permanently get rid of this groin, this ongoing groin issue that I've had, whether it be like some sort of non-invasive, like uh, arthroscopic surgery or whatever. Um, but right now, you know, we haven't really talked much about the fall league. It's been more like, you know, we're focusing on getting ready for 2019 more than anything. Um, but I'm, I, you know, I'm not opposed to playing in the fall league. You know, I know it's good competition. And it's a good chance to get better. So if, you know, if the phone rings, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to play. So. Jacob, I got one more for you. Um, obviously, you mentioned wanting to be healthy at the end of the season instead of the beginning of the season. Part of that is, of course, a chance to pitch in. While be it it's double A, it's still a pennant race. It's still a chance to pitch in a postseason. Talk playoff. about that as far as your team goes right now, and and the uh, the run between now and the end of the year, and how successful you think you guys can be. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt in. The, in you know, there's obviously some very good teams in this league. Corpus is, you know, probably I think Corpus is the best team we've played in this league. Um, but you know, anybody can beat anybody on any given night. So, I mean, it's really just about us doing the little things right, and you know, not having bases loaded, no outs, and not getting anybody in. You know, we got to capitalize on our opportunities, and you know, not not let games get away from us from the pitching side you know we got to be able to slow the game down enough to, to remain under control they say pitching wins championships you guys certainly have plenty of it good luck the rest of the way jacob thanks for joining us yeah no problem thank you guys so good stuff from jacob nix there and we wish him the best of luck the rest of the way and down the playoff push for that double a san antonio team who is very much right in the mix of things that'll do it for this edition of the pipeline podcast for jonathan mayo and jim callis i'm tim mcmaster tune in again next time okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.